From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, December 3rd. Builders at Utah State University's Blanding campus have been working on a traditional Native American hogan since May. And it's finally ready. Justin Higginbottom has more on the structure's importance for students and the community. Every year, thousands of Native American students around the country leave their homes for college. They often come from rural areas and tight-knit communities, like Quandina Begay. She's from a small town called Many Farms, on the Arizona side of the Navajo Nation. She moved to Blanding to study mathematics at Utah State University. This week, her campus added a traditional hogan, and for her, it became a little more like home. The dome structure is considered a holy place for religious ceremonies. The door faces east to welcome the sun. Inside, it's dark and quiet. You would see the structure of cedar trees, the stone, like the bottom of the tree. Those are what's holding the structure up. Other pieces of the same tree just stacked on top of each other, like going, creating a dome, basically. And then in the middle, there's the fireplace. 68% of USU's Blanding campus is Native American. Begay says this hogan will help Native students adjust to college life away from home. The importance of it is to make sure that students who come to USU Blanding, they feel welcome, they feel at home. It eases that gap between being homesick, being away at school. It's like you have a sense of home here. The school held a blessing ceremony and performances by dancers and musicians who you're hearing now. And local Navajo elder and educator Clayton Long talked about the Hogan's deeper meaning. Hogan actually represents unity, that we may have strength, not physically, but the strength to be united. The same goal to get our young people to have strength in their community to do good. They can't do it by themselves, so you bring them together with unity, a community. He explained how the structure is especially relevant at a university and in this area of Utah, where different communities live together. When you see this round, it has no beginning, it has no end. If you go about it spiritually, you can do so much better. If we knew one another's culture, oh my goodness, we could all get along so good. You see, that's what's missing today in our world, in our education, in our life. We set an example today. This is probably the biggest hogan in throughout the whole campus of anywhere that I've seen. But it's a symbolic of a giant step out of small things, big things happen. We are in a special circular place here in San Juan County. Universities around the country have reckoned with insensitive portrayals of Native Americans. Fort Lewis College in Durango removed panels inaccurately representing an Indian boarding school. Colleges in California dropped the names of those with painful histories towards indigenous peoples. Begay, the student in Blanding, wants more for her school than not displaying offensive names. She likes seeing Native students express their culture and even reconnect with it. We lost who we were, and we need to find that again. On her campus, different tribal flags hang in the foyer. Students sometimes come to school in traditional clothes. It just makes you feel 
some type of way like thankful that you're coming from this long ancestral line. Our ancestors fought so hard to get us here and we're living their dreams. She's looking forward to spending time in the Hogan. It is actually really nice and calm on the inside. When you're in there, it just feels like you're back at home on the reservation in a type of way. Yeah. That calm will be especially welcome as finals approach. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News. And now, something a bit different. That's musician Melissa Jones, who stopped by KZMU this week on the last day of her artist residency at Home of the Brave. The nonprofit is based in Cisco and offers fall and spring artist residencies there. Yeah, I've been writing songs out there doing the artist residency. It's been a blast. Since the artist residency program launched in 2019, Home of the Brave has welcomed musicians, poets, filmmakers, painters, photographers, sculptors, street artists, and more. Artists are selected by the board and a rotating panel of guest jurors. Just under an hour away from Moab, there are no services in Cisco, no running water, but Melissa says there's plenty of time to be alone and find artistic inspiration. Yeah, it's been really fun. It's forced me to sort of like finish things a lot faster than I normally would. But um, yeah, I think out in Cisco, you kind of start thinking about like your water because there's no running water. It's like cold, you know, and you're building a fire and you feel kind of like all the luxuries in your life. I mean, you certainly take them for granted. My whole life I've been thirsty. Uh, that song is called Shimmering Creek, titled to be Change, maybe. But <laughs> I think I wrote that one like the second day I was there. Cisco is very cozy and it's very livable, but it does, you know, compared to my apartment in Denver, it's like, <laughs> it's a lot different. Toaster, yeah. And there was a mouse in my toaster. So I think I manifested that mouse because <laughs> I wrote the song and then mouse scared me coming out of the toaster. Um, this one is probably going to be called Valley of Blue Light. This is the first one I wrote there. It gets really blue at um, sunset. And I was like also kind of scared of dying, I think, a little bit. I think it's like you're, you're somewhere new. That's part of it. So I think just being alone somewhere new and it's like, can I build a fire? If I don't build a fire, will I be okay? <laughs> you know, yeah, I would be. But you know, I think it's just like, especially when you live in a city, you don't know until you're kind of put in a situation. And I think I'm always afraid of dying. But then it's like heightened, you know. <laughs> Forgive me for my nature to scream and kick and cry. I'm such a
musician Melissa Jones, one of the fall artists in residence at Home of the Brave in Cisco, Utah. Applications are now open for their spring residency program. For more on the program and the nonprofit, visit EileenMusa.org, and we'll have a link in the show notes. Now, the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. Organizers of OHV event Rally on the Rocks announced they will not try to host an event in Grand County next year. Doug McMurdo of the Times Independent explains. The background on this has has always been um, controversial. It's always been a controversial event. It was uh, Moab's uh, largest event for OHVs. ATVs, UTVs, whatever you want to call them. I, I choose to just brand them all OHVs because they're all off-highway. Okay. Um, it's always been a real uh, controversial issue because when they come into town, you know, it only takes a few bad eggs yeah. um, to spoil the party for a lot of people, uh, racing up and down residential streets, uh, and then going out after these organized trail runs uh, on their own and not really respecting the environment, mm. going off-road. Um but the public backlash from a few years when it got so big, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was a victim of its own success, I suppose. Sure. Um, but the public uh, public resentment did not fall on deaf ears. Local elected leaders, both in the city and the county, uh, sat up and took notice. And the county has made life pretty difficult for the organizers of Rally on the Rocks. As you know, last year they weren't able to get a permit so they were kind of defiant, and they had the event in San Juan County. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't really work too well because mm-hmm. 80% of their trails are in Grand County, which they could not use. And they um, couldn't get permits for those. They, they couldn't get yeah. permits for it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's a, it's a setback for the folks who engage in this type of activity, uh, OHV enthusiasts. Right. Um, and there's a lot of them, but mm-hmm. um, they're just frustrated, and they're just not going to uh, – uh, even try to get a permit for 2022. So that's where it ended. It, they they didn't even want to try with the county. Right. I think they uh, they read the the writing on the wall. There's um, uh, pretty much uh, I would say a blockade on the county commission. In fact, um, uh, Chair Mary McGann and Vice Chair Gabe Oitek both. Uh, I don't want to overstate this, but it seemed like they were ecstatic that rally on the rocks was not going to be a headache that they were mm-hmm. going to have to deal with this year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going back to last year and maybe even the year before during COVID, I'm recalling as you're speaking, there was some negotiation back and forth that definitely went uh, sideways at one point between the county and the organizers. The organizers feel like there's no way that the county would have let them proceed. At one point, the county, I remember saying, you know, was like, we're trying to work with you to make this a workable event in our town and negotiations kind of fell apart. They, they did fall apart. And I think that there was a little bit of um, good faith, bad faith on both parties. I, th- mm-hmm. I think that it's an emotional issue mm-hmm. because the public backlash has been so strong. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, Jeep Safari, there's plenty of people who don't care for Jeep Safari, but there's plenty more that absolutely love that event. And I think that the organizers of Jeep Safari have always been willing 
to be more proactive and to work with the community. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, Jeeps just don't make the same noise yeah. that OHVs do. And that's the real issue. It's a noise issue. Yeah. Um, and I think the lesser issue is going off trail, flipping brodes. And, and like I said, uh, it only takes a few bad eggs to, mm-hmm. to ruin everybody's reputation. I think you can hit the, hit the nail on the head, too. The noise issue is the big thing that's sort of stacked up against these large-scale ATV events in I mean, I'm sure that this whole issue has contributed to the county and the city putting those noise ordinances into play and, you know, starting that training process for law enforcement. Uh, absolutely. And and there's there's also the, the issue of, you know, driving up and down residential streets. I don't think you need to be speeding to get on people's nerves. And I, True. I, think, <laughs> I think residents just feel so disrespected uh-huh. because uh, not, not just by these guys. Right. I think they're more upset with the Utah legislature for allowing this than right. uh, not only allowing it, but mandating it. I think that there's just a lot of frustration in the community. Well, thanks, Doug. Anything else to mention about this piece in the Times Independent or what listeners and readers can, can find in it? Well, I would just like to let readers know that uh, Sophia Fisher, she's been a stringer for us for a year. Uh-huh. Uh, she took on this story with very little advance notice on what was going <laughs> sure. on. Her and Carter Poppy uh, worked on it. And um, Carter uh, will be back here next week, okay. next, next Friday, a week from today, to uh, discuss his three years mm. before as he prepares to leave Moab. And um, we'll have Sophia on in a couple weeks uh, so readers can get to know her. Neat. And where do you want to take us next? Well, the the county commission will meet Tuesday, and there's a good chance that they're going to approve one of two final maps on how to redistrict uh, the county. As everybody knows, uh, Grand County has been uh, out of alignment uh, district-wise for decades, Mm. and um, it really hasn't had an impact until now because, at least for Grand County, because Grand County was um, nonpartisan. Yeah. Uh, for 30 years, yeah. so the districts didn't really play a, a big role, mm-hmm. other than the fact that some people had to get a whole lot more votes in their district to win elections sure, sure. than others did. Sure. Um, but now they're going to be more al- aligned. The whole idea is to have equal population in each of the five districts mm-hmm. as much as possible. I think the federal the federal mm-hmm. law allows like a 5% differential, mm-hmm. which doesn't really give you a lot of play if, mm-hmm. if you're trying to make a logical map of, right. of five different districts in a, uh, a county as spread out as Grand. Right. So because, you know, we've had, you know, a change in form of county government, and now we're going to have um, partisan elections, these districts will mean a little more. Right. And, and I believe that um, public involvement will be greater because you're going to have all of that political apparatus that um, has been in play elsewhere. So there's, you know, kind of a rundown of the county commission's redistricting process. And like Doug said, um, the commission is expected to make a decision on the final map. You know, are they still considering public input? I think that they're always willing to uh, to listen to uh-huh. public input. But frankly... Uh, there's been a real dearth of public input on this whole thing. Sure. There hasn't been a lot of public interest. I think uh, uh, Carter Poppy, the reporter, I think he submitted more maps uh, um, <laughs> he did. just playing around than uh-huh. than citizens did. Uh, I don't know if there's any interest in right. it. I really don't. We just don't have the diverse population that is, exists elsewhere. Uh, we don't, we yeah. don't have these uh, unique neighborhoods so mm-hmm. much. We have... Wealthy people and poor people. That's about as uh, different mm-hmm. as we get um, mm-hmm. in Moab. There is a portal on Grand County's website, grandcountyutah.net. If you click at the t- 
top of the page, you can click on redistricting 2021 if you want to take a look at the maps, um, if you're curious about it. Yeah, look at them, but look at them with the understanding that neither one of them are, are set in stone. Sure. They can and probably will be altered uh, Tuesday when the commission meets. Doug McMurdo, editor of The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. As tourism slows down this month, events for locals are popping up. Allison Harford of the Moab Sun News has highlights on a few of them and begins with a local favorite. One that a lot of people in town are talking about is the return of in-person Moab pub trivia. And the first one will be on Tuesday, December 7th at 6.30 p.m. at Woody's Tavern. Um, and I talked to Sam Van Wetter, who is a new host this year. Um, and I also talked to Bradia Holmes, who has been hosting for a couple years. Sam said that pub trivia never really went away. Um, he kind of half serious and half jokingly said that pub trivia is an omnipresent force in our lives <laughs> that we carry inside of our hearts. So I think people are really excited. Each trivia night will have a theme. The December 7th theme is ugly sweater, so trivia goers are encouraged to wear their holiday tackiest. Six-person teams are encouraged, but you don't have to have a group beforehand. You can just show up to the bar and see who you want to team up with. Mm -hmm. Um, And there will be five categories each night. So for each category, teams will have a certain amount of time to write down an answer before the next question is asked. Um, There's no cheating allowed, so you can't look up the answer on your phone or call an outside friend. You just have to see if somebody knows the answer and write it down. Mm -hmm. Um, And there will be a couple rounds of questions and a couple different categories of questions throughout the night. And at the very end of the night, the team that has the highest number of correct answers will win, and the team that has the least will lose. But Bradia told me that um, there will still be prizes for both. So this is not supposed to be like a competitive thing. It's just Mm -hmm. supposed to be fun. Now, last year, Moab Trivia was on the radio here at KZMU, um, which was so fun. And they devised a way, a complicated system of like how people can like send in their answers. Mm -hmm. And I hear that they're going to do one Moab Pub Trivia on the radio at some point um, to capture people who might not be in town, Mm -hmm. um, but are friends or people who like Moab and want to listen and do trivia. Yeah. Anything um, else to say about trivia? I asked Sam and Bradia kind of what people should expect in their categories. And I mean, Bradia said that they find ideas like all over the place, but mm. a very popular one is like Moab history mm. and kind of Moab, like almost gossip, especially like <laughs> political gossip. Oh, man. So some juicy topics. Yeah. It's not just your regular old science or pop music mm-hmm. or stuff like that. <laughs> Very so cool. So start studying. So that's coming up. <laughs> what else is happening out there? So on Thursday, December 9th at 6 p.m. at the Mark will be the annual Know Before You Go Avalanche Awareness presentation um, done by Eric at the Utah Avalanche Center. And so I talked to Eric and he said... He really stressed the point that avalanches aren't freak occurrences. They're Mm -hmm. not accidents. They can be caused by choices made by backcountry users to Mm -hmm. go into the backcountry, which could Mm -hmm. trigger trigger an avalanche Mm -hmm. if people don't know what to look out for during avalanche season and don't know the signs. So this presentation is meant to be like a very beginner intro into what avalanche science kind of is. And so 
he'll talk about like weather to look out for, how to dig like an avalanche pit where you can see the different snow packs. And he will also be going over what gear you should carry when you do go into the winter backcountry to be safe from avalanches. So this is specifically for anyone who's planning on getting out into the mountains this winter, um, skiers, snowmobilers, anybody who is going up and recreating in the mountains. Mm -hmm. I think... Last season was kind of a famously bad avalanche Mm. season. Eric said that this season kind of looks a little bit similar in that there are persistent weak layers. So when there's an early season snowfall and then there's no snow for a long time, Mm -hmm. the shallow snow will sit on the ground and weaken, Mm -hmm. which turns into kind of this like sugary, powdery base that makes a very unstable base layer for future snow loads. That's what happened this year with that snow in the LaSalle's in October, and then we haven't really gotten a significant snow since. And this year is also a La Nina climate pattern that creates drier and warmer winters. Mm, So yeah, important that people know what they're getting into in the backcountry this winter. Okay, so I guess um, our local avalanche forecasters saying that things could be dicey out there again this season because of um, the conditions you just described. Um, Thanks, Allie, for telling us about that event. And when is it again? It's Thursday, December 9th at 6 p.m. at the Mark. And there's um, one more event that we would like to highlight from the Moab Sun News. Yeah, so the Friends of the Moab Folk Festival do a lot outside of the folk festival in the fall. They always have like year-round events and they focus a lot on like educational opportunities Mm -hmm. and making music program accessible. And so one of their events that they're doing is they invited two Navajo hoop dancers, um, Patrick Willie and Joseph Sekodi, and they're going to teach hoop dancing to a bunch of fourth graders at the elementary school um, and then they're putting on a public performance on Friday December 10th at 7 p.m. also at the mark. Did you find out anything about Navajo hoop dancing? And, yeah, yeah so in traditional hoop dancing the hoops represent the circle of life um, according to Joseph who created a video for the Friends of the Moab Folk Festival mm-hmm. last year about hoop dancing because Patrick and Joseph did like virtual programming mm-hmm. last year. Sure. Um, yeah, and so the dances tell stories of connection as the dancers, like, weave the hoops together and Mm -hmm. toss them in the air as they dance. It sounds really cool, and I mean, Patrick is pretty famous. Um, he just got back from Dubai, and he's been traveling all over the world, and he ranked sixth in a world competition last year for hoop dancing. He has recently written that the hoop dance is creative, upbeat, and at times mind-blowing to witness. So this, yeah, internationally known hoop dancer is going to do this um, event. Remind me when this one is again. The public performance by the two hoop dancers will be on Friday, December 10th at 7 p.m. at the Mark. Allison Harford, staff reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest coverage of the Moab area. You can find the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news on our website and podcast. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.